Hey, Teresa, how do you feel about etiquette accessories? I'd say I'm a fan. It's Schmanners! And welcome to Schmanners. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And this is Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. I am very excited to to do this episode. Um, and we're sorry that it's a little bit late. Teresa has been very sick for the last couple of days and has found herself in need of some of the accessories <laughs> that we're talking about. Of this very episode. I would say that it is quite topical of us. It really is. And maybe prophetic? A little bit. Ooh. A little, uh, not ominous, but some other word that I'm thinking (laughs) of that I can't pull to the front of my brain. I can't recall. Did we choose this topic before I became deathly ill? We did. We did. Yeah. We did. And it all led to this moment. We're talking about handkerchief napkins and fans and speaking of fans before we get into the episode i want to say thank you to everybody who donated to the max fun drive we really appreciate it it was hugely successful and that's all thanks to you and you should be very proud of yourselves if you haven't donated and you feel like you missed your chance don't worry you can still support all the shows you love on max fun you won't get all of the special bonus stuff but you can listen to all of the bonus content by becoming a donor at any time in the year so go to maximumfun.org forward slash donate and that's the last thing we'll say about it because we've already talked about it way too much over the last two weeks and now i want to talk about accessories all right let's accessorize and this is probably going to be one of like several because eventually i want to get to a point where we're talking about like snuff boxes we're talking about like walking sticks but this is just handkerchiefs napkins and hand fans all right so like a lot of the things that we have today handkerchiefs and napkins are very old that makes sense to me. They seem like a pretty simple concept. I don't know that there's been a lot of revolutions in the technology surrounding napkins and handkerchiefs over the years. Right. Um, and also, like a lot of things that are very old, there are some highly contested facts about them. Ooh, I like highly contested facts. Please tell me some, please. Well, so let's go into a couple of uh, like very ancient things. 1000 BC to 200 BC-ish. In there. So the Chow Dynasty in China, um, handkerchiefs were used to shield a person's head from the sun. Oh. Um, and we know this because there are several statues uh, from the period that have these pieces of decorative cloth carved in stone. I feel like I've seen that in, in um, Chinese artwork where you see it like tied at the four corners to kind of hold it in place. On the person's head. And it's almost like a makeshift hat out of uh, a handkerchief. Totally makes sense. So a little bit later then, during the Roman period, just like 200 BC to like 3 AD, there was a piece of cloth, you know, for rich people. Mm. Because a lot of the stuff in Rome is either for really rich people or really poor people. um, Called a sidarium, which was just used to like... It was a kind of an extension of the toga. 
and it was to wipe your sweat off your brow because it's quite hot in Rome. Especially when you're all wrapped up in all that fabric. It's got to get warm. Right. And this piece of cloth was also used um, during the Roman games. So they would they would drop a piece of this cloth and um, to signal like a ready, set, go, right? Oh, and I've seen that just like on Fast and the Furious when there's a lady and she stands in the middle and she waves a little flag thing and handkerchief, she drops it and everybody starts racing like that. Right, and people would also wave their pieces of cloth to like show excitement and stuff for the games. Excellent. The handkerchief probably as we know it was, um, I don't want to say created, but I want to say standardized. Okay. In France, in the 14th through the 16th century, mm-hmm. um, because so this handkerchief thing was commonly made out of fine silk and lace in various shapes and sizes, squares and oblongs, um, and it was known as a pluvoir in France Ooh. Uh, from the word pleur, which means to tear, rain or cry. Okay, that makes sense. And these handkerchiefs were often used as a um, supplement to a lady's dowry. Really? Yeah. That oh, That's pretty cool. It makes a lot of sense to me. It seems like you, it, we don't necessarily think of handkerchiefs this way today, but I get the impression that back then they were, like we would think of like a tie or cufflinks. Mm-hmm. The handkerchiefs were a, an article of fashion that someone might say, like, I love your handkerchief, or like, oh, he really accessorized well, or she really accessorized well with her handkerchief, and then it was, like, more of a fashion statement than a practical thing. Right, well, we're totally getting to that. Okay. Because the height of the idea of fashion is probably the court of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. Oh, that lady. They did a Um, lot of that fashion stuff. They surely did, and they decided that handkerchiefs should be square. And that's why handkerchiefs are square. So there wasn't like a universal shape before that. It was just kind of like a piece of cloth. It could be square. It could be oblong. It could be more like a lacy doily thing that was like round. I see. But they decided handkerchiefs should be square. Did you find anything in your research about like handkerchiefs uh, used like during plague times and used like, you know, to like shield you from infected people? No, not really. Okay. Maybe that's just something. Because I always picture people like in movies like holding handkerchiefs and stuff up over their mouths when they come upon like a really disgusting scene. But maybe that wasn't like a traditional thing. Maybe that's just a thing we've done in movies to show how shocked and appalled well, someone Well, I mean, is. it does It does tend to lend itself to it being a barrier mm-hmm. between you and something else. But germ theory is relatively new. Well, I feel like it's more of a perfumed so you didn't have to smell how gross the uh the ravel was rabble 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 well certainly um handkerchiefs had their places in nose gaze which is what that would be something that you put up against your nose to keep yourself from smelling bad vapors excellent but not specifically handkerchiefs did i find anything but that was a thing that they did sure along with a lot of other things perfume boxes and like oranges with cloves in it and that kind of thing right so moving on to the early 20th century um specifically depression era united states um the handkerchief really became a um a lady's accessory Really? More than a man's accessory because due to um, 
fact, general shortages all over. Uh, the only way you could change your outfit was to change your hanky. Okay. So you probably had just one one dress you wore most of the time. And the only way that you could, you know, look fashionable was to change or update your handkerchief. Um, we had a couple people ask about handkerchiefs versus bandanas. Are they the same thing? Um, I am not quite sure about the origin of the bandana, but I would argue that a hank that a bandana is a type of handkerchief. It's just where it's worn. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I had the same thought about pocket squares. Oh, I see. Did we get any questions about that? We did. We were asked about pocket squares as handkerchiefs. Yeah. Um, The earliest pocket squares were these small handkerchiefs made of silk, Mm -hmm. usually. Um, And you would carry one handkerchief to show and one handkerchief to blow. Okay. I like that. So the show handkerchief evolved into the pocket square and it was usually silky or lacy or pretty and you kept that in your breast pocket normally or for ladies they would keep them up their sleeves Mm -hmm. with a little bit of the laciness funness hanging out um and then the other one your other handkerchief your blow handkerchief was the dirty one that uh you would keep hidden away to use um, I, I could say now, I, I don't know much about fashion, so don't, like, quote me on this the next time you're in, like, Milan during Fashion Week or something, but I'm almost positive that there is now a very defined line between handkerchiefs and pocket squares. Pocket squares are a very unique thing, and they're not nearly as practical. They're a decorative item. Correct. They are not to be used, so don't, like, pull out your handkerchief and fold it up and put it, most of the time, because it's probably too big, too, because this, there's a size difference between most uh, pocket squares and handkerchiefs. The material is a lot thinner for a pocket square. If you try to fold a handkerchief into a pocket square, it's going to end up looking bulky and weird. Yeah, probably. And it's supposed to complement your tie, and the chances that you have handkerchiefs <laughs> that complement your tie is rare. Um, but if you have more questions, ask Jesse Thorne. He knows all about pocket squares. He knows a lot about pocket squares. So the thing that happened in the 1930s, can you guess how handkerchiefs became out of fashion? I'm going to guess World War II? Mm, No. Damn it. Great Depression. No. 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 Uh, What happened was... (laughs) No. A highly successful marketing campaign by... Kleenex. Oh, that makes a lot of sense to me. And um, the slogan was, don't carry a cold in your pocket. Ooh. Because they wanted you to ditch your handkerchief and buy their disposable paper tissues to blow your nose into and cough into and wipe any part of your face that feels moist. Okay. I guess... (sighs) It's funny that it declined in the 30s because I that's what I think of when I think of handkerchiefs. I think of like, you know, like the the hardworking men of the, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s with like lunch pails and going to like mines and lumber mills and stuff with like handkerchiefs and dabbing their brow after a hard day's work and it going out of fashion when we entered into like the 70s and 80s and people doing a lot less manual labor in their jobs. 
that but, that makes sense to me, but it's not really what happened because yeah. I think that the decorative handkerchief slash pocket square was probably still on the scene, mm-hmm. especially in men's suits and um, women's evening wear. But it makes a lot of sense with the hang- with the the Kleenex because um, I also want to spill the beans a little bit. I wasn't there in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, <laughs> so most of what I know is based off of movies and TV. Um, and it's a very dramatic to see somebody pull a uh, you know bandana handkerchief out of the pocket and like dab their brow and wipe away the coal dust. But that probably just wasn't happening as much as I picture it happening. Right. I am curious if anybody's listening and they're a germologist. What would that be? There's a word for that. A pathologist? I don't know. Um, but if you know about germs and the way germs spread, is it less? Because we had questions about that, about, like, is it is it gross to have a handkerchief in your pocket and to, like, blow your nose and use a handkerchief? And I feel like it probably is to some degree, but it, compared to, like, Kleenex, what's the actual difference? So if you know, please let us know at Schmannerscast. Well, one of the things that I would say is a lot of etiquette regarding the handkerchief revolves around the using of the handkerchief rather than the holding of the handkerchief. Um, So um, I know that I I tend to um, really rely heavily on Emily Post, but one of our listeners ever so politely uh, mentioned to me that I ought to check Miss Manners as well. Um, so here is what Miss Manners has to say about the handkerchief. Miss Manners suspects that the problem might be that the handkerchief is a forgotten artifact and no one's, no one knows how to operate it. So here are the instructions. There must be a fresh, fresh handkerchief every day. It must be kept within easy reach in an outside pocket or tucked into the cuff or decolletage. The freshly pressed and folded handkerchief is shaken out, time permitting, and the sneeze goes directly into it. It is then not refolded to look pristine, but returned crumpled to its nesting place and repeated as necessary. Miss Manners is confident that people who manage to carry, operate, and whip out their electronic devices will, with practice, be able to master this. I am a big fan of handkerchiefs. I, let me get out my, uh, I'll lay my cards out on the table. I'm a big fan of it. Um... As with a lot of my uh, modern-day manly etiquette, I learned from um, Nick Offerman, who talks about in uh, in his book, that like having a handkerchief is very useful. And since carrying one, I find so many uses for it. It's wonderful to hand to someone maybe when they're crying. It's a very nice gesture and a very practical gesture. There's something about, like, I have something for you while you're crying. That's like there's something about the giving of someone a handkerchief that's like very... Touching and thoughtful and practical. And at one time also considered romantic. Really? Oh, a favor. Yes. Yes. Um, Because when someone would hand you their handkerchief, the correct protocol as as a person receiving the handkerchief was to use it and then hold on to it, launder it, and return it. So... When you uh, receive the handkerchief, you need to have some way of getting it back to the person. So it's, it's an excuse like, of like, I'll see you again yeah. when you return the handkerchief. And kind of like, where's what's your number kind of see, thing. Right? making a connection. How can I reach you to return this to you? Um, speaking of making a connection, we had a couple people ask about the gay handkerchief code. 
And I wanted to bring this up. Do you know about it? No, I do not know about the gay handkerchief code. Well, so it's a very interesting thing. Um, basically what it is, because so many people asked about it, and I had already heard about it, so I wanted to address it, just in case you were interested in a little bit of trivia. Maybe you're young and you don't know this, but for a very, very, very long time, and I would say until very recently, and still working on it, still growing, um, people were afraid to let anyone know that they were homosexual. It was a very scary thing in the world to say, like, this is me living out in the open. And so there was a code of different handkerchief colors and positions, depending on which handkerchief you carried, that was a signal to other um, other homosexual men to say, like, hey, I'm a homosexual, here's what I'm into, because we can't openly discuss it without discrimination and judgment and hatred and all of these terrible things. Hmm. It has since gone out of fashion, because people are now a lot more comfortable being a lot more open, and you know people are able to live the lives they want to a lot more. Still working on it, still improving every day. Good job, America. Um, but yeah, so that's, if you're interested, I highly recommend looking it up. You can find it on Wikipedia. What can't you find on Wikipedia <laughs> these days? But yeah, so I think that it has gone out of fashion only because it's not a necessity anymore. Well, it is It is getting a resurgence now um, because it's a very green way to take care of your bodily fluids. And I also think that there's something a lot classier about pulling out a handkerchief than like pulling out a handful of like Kleenex and like blowing your nose into a thin, thin piece of tissue paper versus like into a hearty cotton buddy. Well, I think that I saw something on um, on Mythbusters about how a handkerchief itself isn't going to stop, you know, droplets of things because it is quite porous. It's better than nothing. Sure. It's better than just sneezing into your gross, gross hands. Yes. That's the thing, too, is like when people are like, oh, it's way grosser than a tissue. It's like, yeah, but if you get into the habit, I've at this point got like 30 different handkerchiefs, get used to just carrying one every day and swapping them out at the end of the day. And I'm way more likely now to have a handkerchief than I ever was to have a tissue on Mm. me. So it's like, yeah, it's it's not as like reusable as a tissue or it's not as like maybe sanitary as like throwing it away every time you do like a tissue. But it's also like how often do you find yourself with a tissue in your hand? Right. I will also say that there's a wide array of handkerchiefs. I've seen them anywhere from, you know, just like a square of, you know, blue cotton or a square of flannel to like linen and embroidered and like beautiful. And it, but like, Man, carry it. They're really cool. And they're really and, cool looking. And um, a good looking handkerchief, a useful looking handkerchief, has been around for a very long time. The most um, prolific example I have found is, have you ever seen those pictures of the war, f- the hero flying ace with the like yeah. silk scarf or whatever? Yeah, the World War One flying ace. Right. Yeah, like Snoopy. Yeah, like Snoopy. Those scarfs were actually... Um, printed on, they had maps of usually uh, Europe or the enemy territory. And so if a, a plane went down, they would use their scarf to help them figure out where they were. You have just blown my mind wide open. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And that was carried over into um, political campaigns. People would print up hankies with... Uh, different, you know, slogans for presidents, and it was carried into different maps of hometowns and 
souvenirs and I mean we see them I mean, now. You can find I have handkerchiefs that we got for like stuff in Cincinnati that's like a map of downtown Cincinnati that they handed out. Right, yeah. And they had, you know, little works of art on them, nursery rhymes and Christmas carols and Boy Scout like mottos and everything. They use them as as little uh, propagandas and mem- mementos. Cool. Let's move on to napkins because while they are similar, they have a little bit of a different origin. So most scholars agree that the first napkin was not not a napkin, really. <laughs> it <What> was. was it? <laughs> it was probably a piece of dough. Okay. Uh, that was served along with dinner cut into small pieces and like mixed and kneaded at the table. So you would eat with your hand and in between, if you wanted to wipe off your hand, you would kind of just wipe it on this piece of dough. Weird. Um, it led, and that morphed into a slice of bread that you would kind of wipe your hand on. But then would you still eat it? Um, during the Middle Ages... When you had a trencher that your food was served on, which is a, a larger piece of bread, you would eat it. Or you would pass it off to someone less fortunate than yourself and have, and they would eat it. I gotcha. So then how did it become a napkin? Well, so I mentioned trenchers, uh-huh. right? So the idea of a trencher became kind of a napkin plate. And in that same Middle Ages... You kind of um, also used whatever was around, like the tablecloth, your dress, your tunic. Everybody was a lot cooler about Other stuff things. like that back then. Um, so the tablecloth that I mentioned specifically kind of evolved from a tablecloth into a napkin. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense to me because it seems like, so, like especially servants who got sick of washing tablecloths were like, what if we just gave everybody their own tiny tablecloths? Right. And it was a lot easier to clean up after that. So there was a lot of pomp and circumstance related to the placing of the tablecloths, the layering of the tablecloth, the size of the tablecloth, and all of that stuff. And eventually, because of all this circumstance... And and ritual, it did get smaller and smaller and became a personal thing. It makes complete sense to me. But it wasn't always um, in your lap or in your hands. So these napkins were often placed on the left shoulder. Like a burping towel. Like, yeah, kind of like a burping cloth for a baby, where you would eat with your right hand and then wipe your hand on your shoulder, on your napkin here, right? Instead of placing it in your lap. I see. And um, this is the same way that they would often drape napkins across an arm to be distributed. So you've seen pictures of, of butlers or whatever holding the napkin across their arm. Yeah. That was often to take these napkins and distribute them to diners. I see. And, you know, different patterns emerged and different places had different sizes and all kinds of things. Um, So the diaper, I think it's pronounced, 
uh, which is the English word for napkin, was a white cotton or linen fabric with small That's repetitious... That's why they call them nappies. Oh, maybe. Now it all makes so much sense to me. Uh, was a, a, with small repetitious diamond-shaped patterns, and a servette was a large napkin used at the table. The servette de, uh, de collection, maybe, was a smaller napkin used while standing to eat. The similar... A uh, thing that we have today is a cocktail napkin. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. I've heard of that. Right. So, like, all of these things were put into dining in probably the 16th century. So you had all these little pieces of cloth and smaller things, and everything got so... Along with dining, things got a lot more elaborate, so you had a lot more pieces. So just like in the dining episode, one of the things that really changed the napkin was the fork. Uh-huh. Because then you weren't using your hands as much. Exactly. Okay, I'm with you. This is when the napkin was reduced in size. So before it was kind of very large and, and you could fold it up, but it was it was quite expansive in the way of a tablecloth, right? Um, it got reduced in size to like 30 by 36, so kind of rectangular, smaller personal size. But now, I mean, it could be any size or color or shape that you really want. Yeah. Um, but that's when they decided that that's the, the like personal size napkin. So in the same vein as the hanky, in the 30s, a paper product towel napkin was introduced by Scott Paper Towels. Mm-hmm. And it was mostly used as a kitchen cleaning device, but it very slowly caught on and became the paper napkin we have today. Once again, though, doesn't strike me as super green. You know what I mean? Like, I guess on the one hand, it balances out because you don't have to wash the towels. Right. But, like, you're also just burning through a lot of paper towels. I think maybe it... um went the same way as the hygiene where if you're cleaning up food spills and such you probably don't want to just hang around with that napkin mm-hmm. maybe it's just easier and more convenient more maybe more modern oh yeah i could see that to, to it dispose feels a lot of it. cooler that you're saving time and it's a much more convenient than saying oh, right yeah i've got things to do yeah Microwave dinners and such. Exactly. Your mic- <laughs> these kids today with their microwaves and their hula hoops and their paper towels. That's right. I'm. The more we talk about it, though, the more I want to take our whole house all the way back back to everything fabric, fabric towels, fabric handkerchiefs, fabric toilet paper, everything. That well, probably, you're in that probably wasn't a thing. You're in charge of laundry. Oh, so. okay. Never mind. Paper toilet paper. We'll <laughs> stick with that one. <laughs> Are there any questions about napkins? Well, I figured we'd go through all three of the histories and then do all of them. Oh, okay. Sure. No problem. So then fans. Um, I mean, I have seen fans today at special occasions, mm-hmm. like weddings. I'll see people. Horse races. Uh, horse races. Uh, maybe the souvenir fans. Mm-hmm. I've seen those. The early history of fans um, probably dates back to 3000 BC, and there's evidence that the Greeks and the Romans all used fans 
for cooling themselves and as ceremonial devices. Like the big palm fronds. Exactly. Like Cleopatra and you have the dudes in the loincloths waving the stuff. I right. gotcha. And ancient Chinese literary sources associate the fan with ancient mythical and historical characters. Okay. They were all, in the beginning, the fixed type. So, like, not the folding kind. Gotcha. Where it was like you were looking like a stick... With, like, a thing on the end, a circular or, like, a spade-shaped thing. And they got more heavily ornate, Mm -hmm. sort of the higher up in uh, the social status that you went. Ovs. But at that point, they were practical. They were, like, for cooling yourself down. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So then we got the fans. I'm not going to say we. I'm going to say Europe got the fans... Uh, that we pretty much know today from spice roots, gotcha. right? So they encountered the traders and they saw these things. They're like, whoa, this is really awesome. So they liked it and they took it. And, you know, they appropriate it just like a lot of European things do. And now I have a question for you. So we yeah. talked about that for, like, if you're in Egypt, the fans were very practical because it's super hot. Mm-hmm. When you get back to, like, Europe and it's a lot more of a temperate climate, were they still used practically? Well... I would say that once the folding fan was really invented in the 17th century, that's when they really became more about the showmanship of fanning the fan and less about being cooled off by the fan. Okay, because when I think about fans now, I, I still think about them practically. Growing up in, like, West Virginia and doing outdoor theater, I would always see people, like, you know, at outdoor concerts and outdoor theater and outdoor events, like, with the paper fans advertising the local radio station, fanning themselves like their wrist was about to fall off. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Uh, so the fan flirting really came into effect in the early 1700s. Oh, wait, hold on. What? Fan flirting. That's a thing? It's a thing. Well, it was a thing. See, the thing was, um, it wasn't acceptable to go up to a gentleman that you had not been introduced to, and also not acceptable to talk to a person of the opposite sex without a chaperone. Okay. So fans were used to kind of communicate that. Exactly. Like smoke signals. Or like text messages. (laughs) Right. Um, so a man named Joseph Addison, who was a publisher in the 1700s of The Spectator, was known to have said that if he could only see the fan of a disciplined lady, he could tell her mood and what she was feeling. Man, we should bring this back. No. No, I'll tell you what. Hear me out. <laughs> we get questions on my brother and my brother and me all the time. It's like, how do I talk to people? How do I do- What if you just had a thing? Maybe not fan, but something that from across the room, someone could look over and be like, oh, no, they're not interested. <laughs> I'm just going to say right where I am. Kind of like uh, leash and collar codes for dogs. Yeah. Or like, you know, at restaurants where you flip the green and that lets, you, <laughs> that the, lets waitress the waiter know. know that you want more meat. <laughs> yeah, like that. Where it's like someone looks over and you just like have, you know, a light on above your table and they're like, oh, they want to be flirted with. And then if you have the light off, it's like, no, I'm just here with my friends. Thank you very much. Oh, well. I'm going to be rich. Please don't steal that idea. I'm going to put that in a restaurant. You can steal it, Teresa, because you're my wife. But I'm going to put that in a restaurant and people are going to love it. Okay, well, memorize these so that you can put this in there. Okay. Carrying a fan in the left hand signified that you were desirous of acquaintance. Okay. So you're ready to meet people. 
carrying a fan, uh, allowing a fan to rest on the right cheek meant yes. On the left cheek meant no. Okay. Um, placing a fan on the left ear signified you have changed. Wait, what? You have changed? Like, I think the that person you're looking at, like, I used to like you, but you've changed. Maybe. Mm. Um, drawing a fan across the forehead meant we're being watched. Oh. Wait, could I guess, oh, I guess mean, like, you, like, the person holding the fan has changed. Like, I'm not interested anymore. Oh. Yeah. Maybe. Something has changed. So, something is something has changed. Um, opening a fan wide meant wait for me. Dropping a fan meant we could be friends. Dropping a fan might also mean, oh, I dropped my fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you fanned yourself fast, that meant that you were married. Um, swift drawing of a fan through the hand meant I hate you. Whoa. This yeah, it got real. Uh, placing the handle of the fan to the lips meant kiss me. That's pretty obvious, yeah. you guys. Twirling Being the fan meant I'm hungry. <laughs> Twirling a fan in the left hand meant I wish to be rid of you. Twirling a fan in the right hand meant I love another. Oh, so sad. And an open fan held in the right hand in front of the face meant follow me. Man, I can see that. That's kind of like a come hither deal. And people just like I, I know they weren't just like born knowing this. They were taught this. But what an interesting thing to be like now, son. Before you go out in the world, it's time you found yourself a bride. Your mother and I are going to teach you the fan code. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, and uh, drawing a fan across the eyes meant I'm sorry. I see. So, when did fans go out of vogue? I feel like it's not a thing I hardly see people do in casual fashion anymore. Well, so, the fan right now in the 21st century isn't really like a must-have accessory like it was a long time ago. Um, But, you know, they still have fans. They still make them. They make them... um, in commemoration, like when uh, Prince Prince William and uh, Duchess Catherine is that how you say? I I don't want to be when you know the the two of them. <laughs> the, when that royal wedding happened, commemorative fans were made and sold. So it's really not that out of fashion to have one, especially to have one. Like I said, in commemoration or at a as a function of something, like I said, at a wedding or you said at a concert mm-hmm. for advertising purposes, they might make fans. But it's very much as opposed to like handkerchiefs, which I feel are making an everyday resurgence. Right. Fans are still kind of relegated to like high dress. If you're going with like the folding lace or like paper, even that's it's for special occasions you maybe don't it's be like, because we have central air <laughs> yeah i was thinking about that that it might be like now people if you were fanning yourself in a place with central air everyone would be like you look stupid right <laughs> it's cold in here deborah stop it maybe we just don't spend enough time in the heat that might be it we don't we don't even know what hot is i don't know um perhaps i mean out of our experience travis Maybe in hotter climates, people still use fans a lot more. Hmm. Maybe it's just not... very southern. I think of, like, I see that fan fluttering, and I think very southern. Maybe in places where they don't have as much central air as they do here in America. Maybe. Um, So we've got some questions from our listeners that we're going to answer here in a second. But first, 
Here's a word from another Max Fun show. Hey, this is Pop Rocket. We're your source for all pop culture information. It's an intellectual and incredibly snark-filled discussion about pop culture by five cranky Hollywood 30-somethings. No name-calling, no rudeness, just straight talk and a lot of role-play. I'm only 30-something for another year. Me too. And I don't <laughs> tell anybody I'm 30-something. Pop Rocket comes out every week from MaximumFun.org. Hello, everyone. We are back. We're talking about handkerchiefs, napkins, and fans. Here are the listener questions. Yeah, hit me with those questions. Every week before the episode goes out, we will put out, usually Monday or Tuesday, what the episode's going to be on. If you've got questions on it, you can go to the Facebook group. Uh, you can find it Schmanners with Travis and Teresa. Or you can you know find it on Twitter, whatever. Um, these questions are from you, the listeners. Drina asks, where do you put your napkin when you leave the table? Do you place it on the table or on the chair? Okay. Um, remember how I mentioned Miss Manners earlier? Yes. This is one of those things. Miss Manners and Emily Post disagree. I feel like you're going to side with Emily Post. Is that the case? Um, mm, 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 maybe not. Um, Emily Post says it should go to the left of your plate on the table, um, never on top of your plate. Both of them agree about that. Never on top of the plate. Um, but Miss Manners says it's perfectly acceptable to leave it on your chair. Is the, is the, on top of the plate a signal that you're done or is it just rude all around? It's rude all around. You really shouldn't put your napkin on top of your plate. It makes it difficult for the server to collect your things. And it also will probably make the napkin a lot dirtier than it would have already been. Um, Also, if you put it on top of your plate when you leave the table, you probably don't want to put it back in your lap because it's got more food all over it. Yeah. Also, you're putting it on your food, which is also gross. Right. So I would say that really probably either one is okay. I would not hang it on the back of the chair. Um, but putting it on your chair or on your plate, loosely folded until you return. Uh, this one is, uh, this question comes from Leisha. Leisha asks, napkins <laughs> in the lap or tucked in the collar? I was always curious, which is more correct? Well, it really depends on where you live, actually. Really? There, yeah, there are some I countries. I thought there was a definitive answer. There are some countries that, um really do tuck it into the collar almost every time. Um, And I think that that might have more to do with the cuisine than anything else. Makes Um, sense if it's like a saucier thing that you would want to cover your shirt. Right. Um, According to my research, Italians are more likely to put the napkin into the collar because nobody wants to have a little bit of tomato sauce flicked up on their shirt. So if you're spinning your spaghetti or bolognese or whatever it is... um, putting it on your collar might not be such a bad thing. Um, I think that applies to also other really messy foods like barbecue ribs or lobster. I mean, at a lot of lobster restaurants, if you order a lobster, they will bring you a special bib to put on your... Because you're a special bib boy. Because you're a special bib boy. Um, But what would you suggest here in America or just... I, I guess we can only speak to America because that's where we are, and I'm sure we have listeners in other countries, but in America, I, I, I guess I always pictured growing up that tucking it in the collar was kind of like, you're embarrassing me, son. Like, put it on your... Not that my parents were ever chastising me because I was a good, good manners boy, but just like, it feels like lap is very classy and tucked into the shirt 
is not. I would save tucking into the shirt for very special circumstances. Okay. Where uh, if you are eating something extremely messy or if everyone on the, at the table puts it into their, their shirt, why not? Um, but most of the time, let's go for lap. To that point, James asks, is it all right to forgo using a napkin on your lap or in your collar? As a capable adult, I rarely see the need to give myself a bib. I'm fully capable of not dropping food all over myself, but I've had people tell me several times that I should use it anyway. If you are provided a napkin, you should use it. Okay. Even if it stays completely clean, and sometimes they do. Um, I know that when I serve dinner with my cloth napkins if my napkin is completely clean i will reuse it and not wash it between uses um if there's a napkin provided use it um kate asks my question is may i carry a hand fan around with me please and thank you (laughs) go for it yeah you know what i feel like there are some affectations that i kind of turn my nose up at a little bit um, but you know what? At the end of the day, I think that fans could have a very practical usage. I think they're really classy, and I would like to see them come back. Now, that said, I do think that it's the kind of thing where it would be like it's classy, but like a tie is classy, and ties mm-hmm. are very common, but you wouldn't wear a tie with like a t-shirt. Right. You know what I mean? So like you should be, sit there and go, is this the right occasion for this fan? Okay, then yes. I remember one time getting a fan from um, one of my great aunts that was perfumed, and I loved it. I took that fan with me a lot of places. I was very young, probably like preteens. So you guys, perfect that's... perfect time to give a child a fan. <laughs> that's how cool I was. Um, but I really loved the smell of that fan, so it was really great to have around because preteens don't smell very good. Um, this is from Corinne. Is it okay to offer someone your handkerchief if they need a tissue? Is there a way to handle that interaction without being weird about germs, bodily fluids, but also being kind and helpful while not getting sick? Yes. I think that you can definitely offer someone a nicely folded handkerchief, but if it is already crumpled from your use, you probably shouldn't give it to somebody. Yeah. Um, You also need to be prepared for the fact that if you are perfect strangers uh, and you do not have time to exchange information for the returning of a laundered handkerchief, you are either never going to see that handkerchief again or they're going to give it back to you soiled. Yep. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's funny to me because people talk about handkerchiefs as if every day human beings are sick. (laughs) But, like, the thing – and, I like, I carry a a handkerchief with me every day or most days, and I'm sick maybe, maybe one day out of the month, enough that I'm blowing snot into my handkerchief. Most of the time, it's it's folded up in my pocket until I need to offer it to somebody or until something happens, but that's not snot coming out of my face. I'm sweating or something like that. Mm -hmm. So most of the time... I feel pretty comfortable offering a handkerchief to people. And you can buy them in bulk. You can buy, like, 20 white handkerchiefs and then just hand them out willy-nilly like, you know, some kind of magical (laughs) man just handing (laughs) handkerchiefs all around town. Make it rain handkerchiefs. And if you have, like, a super nice handkerchief that, like, your grandfather gave you or that you, like, had embroidered for your wedding, maybe don't offer that to a stranger. Maybe don't carry that around just for, like, everyday use. Save that for, like, I'm going out to eat with, you know, a significant other and I want something special with us. Or this could be a way of making new friends. Also when true. you offer someone your handkerchief, 
maybe tell them how they can reach you to return it when it's clean. Have it embroidered in the corner, like just your phone number. Something to think about. I think that would be a pretty cool move. Uh, This is from Grace. Is fanning yourself on a hot tube train acceptable, appreciated by others, or a gross invasion of others' airspace, breezing up everyone's newspaper's reading experience? Um... If you need to fan yourself, it should be pretty personal, right? You shouldn't be blowing your fan stuff all over everybody. Uh, I think that that's okay. It's not going to invade people too much. I think it's the force that you do. Yeah. There's like a hand fan, you know, like one, two, three, four, five, like kind of that kind of beat of waving mm-hmm. versus like having a huge piece of paper that you're like <laughs> right. waving yeah. as hard as you can. It's like, okay. Calm it down. You're not going to get that cool. (laughs) You might expend more energy waving that giant thing around than you would to cool yourself. This is from Jacob. Where do you place the napkin ring that was holding the napkin together when you dine? Um, on the table. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You slide it off and you set it down. I usually do it up to the right of the plate. That's not where my glasses are. It's a very good point, though, Jacob. Be careful. Don't put it somewhere where you're going to accidentally set your glass down on top of it and spill your glass. Or don't tuck it underneath your plate. Do people do that? I've I've seen that happen. That would create a very wobbly plate situation. Yes, wobbly plate situation. Don't like slip it in your pocket or something. Don't be weird about it. Just put it somewhere <laughs> out of the way where it's not going to bother anyone. Speaking of, um, this question comes from Matt. After sitting down, how soon do you put a table set napkin on your lap? Immediately when the food comes? Um, I would say before the food comes that way you're not futzing around when someone is trying to serve you your dinner um but the the high class answer is a lot like the the dining episode that we did you should wait for your host or hostess to pick up and unfold their napkin and then do the same this question comes from travis your husband sitting across from you okay i know what to do with a cloth napkin Mm-hmm. But when we go to like a, you know, maybe a tavern, pubby bar restaurant and all the utensils are like wrapped up in paper napkins, mm-hmm. do I still put that on my lap? Do I still do that the same way? Do I still need to cover my lap with a paper napkin? Yes. You unfold the wrapped up silverware and you place that to one side of your plate you don't one side of your setting you don't need to separate them and set your own table in that in that um circumstance but you place them on the table and then put that napkin in your lap um the question comes from kelly is it appropriate to blow your nose in front of other people um, I think that we we discussed this a little bit before, and I would say that if you can avoid it, you should not blow your nose in front of other people, especially at the dinner table we talked about. Um, or like in a plane where you're locked in, just sitting next to them. Well, but I mean, you can't really move very much in a plane. If I- you can avoid it, don't do it, but... If you, I mean, sometimes it's dripping down your face. You got to do it. I would say here's my kind of rule of thumb with handkerchiefs. Whether it's blowing my nose or like sneezing into a handkerchief, I think that handkerchiefs are mostly there for like the, I'm wiping away, my nose is running a little bit, I have Mm -hmm. the sniffles, that kind of thing. If you should sneeze into your handkerchief or have to blow your nose into it, that is a 
um, now it's time to go like wash your hands and that handkerchief is now done unless you have another sneeze come on that is now right. reserved only for sneezing and you should go wash your hands immediately that the handkerchief was there to catch most of the stuff you would have just expelled into the world otherwise and now it's time to wash your hands and be done with that handkerchief I agree uh, this comes from Trevor I feel terrible using cloth napkins at nice restaurants I feel like they're more for show what is the limit if any for actually using them they are not for show um, I would say that the limit is cleaning up a spill. You should not clean up a spill with your personal napkin. If you can avoid it, you should allow the um, the service staff to take care of that with whatever kind of cleaning cloths they may have. Um, if it is coming at you, like the spill is running down the table towards you, then use your napkin as a barrier, but not to mop up the mess. Um, other than that, you have it. You should use it. They launder those things. They expect you to use it. Let me ask you one specific one. Now, I know that the you take a bite of something and you don't like it. You don't spit it back out, but say like you take a bite of something and there's like a bone in it or a hunk of gristle, right? Mm-hmm. Can you spit that back into your napkin or is that heavily frowned upon? You really shouldn't spit it back into your napkin because then you have a thing in your napkin. That's a surprise. You <laughs> <laughs> and, not a good, and not a good one. Right. Not a good surprise it's for the bad wait twist staff. ending. Um, if, you, if you can, you should use a utensil from the from the table, you know, your spoon or your fork, put it back onto that utensil and back onto your plate, the, like the corner of your plate where you won't hit it again. Um, also, I have read Emily Post says that at um, informal settings, it is acceptable to remove the piece of offending matter with your fingers and place on your plate, but you really shouldn't spit it out into your napkin because then you can't use that napkin anymore and whoever takes that away is not going to be happy. Well, I think that that covers a lot of it. If you have any questions, anything we didn't cover, you can tweet at us at SchmannersCast, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S-C-A-S-T. You can also email us, SchmannersCast at gmail.com. Um, if you like the show, and we hope that you do, thank you for listening. Please tell a friend. We're a very new show. We haven't even been around, what, even six months at this point? Mm-hmm. I think we're like three months old. We are wee babies. Um, also, if you like the show, you could rate and review us on iTunes. That also helps out a lot. It moves us up the charts. So if you like the show, tell a friend. You can share the link. We're going to put a link up with this episode. And once again, we're sorry this one's late. Usually they're up on Friday, um, and we will have one up on Friday this week. Yes, Don't we worry. will. Uh, we don't know the topic yet, but stay tuned. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Oh, um, also, you can join our Facebook group. We are almost up to a thousand members. Woo! We're at like eight hundred ninety-nine or something right it's now. The best place to ask questions you need answered either by the crowd or by us. And um, I check that often. Yeah, we're on there all the time. Um, also, check out all the other amazing shows on maximumfun.org. There's a lot of really good ones on there. I highly recommend Sawbones. If you like this show, you're going to love Sawbones. Sawbones. I love Sawbones. Sawbones is the inspiration for us, but there's lots of other great shows on there. Can't think of anything else, but I'm sure that you have other questions. So we'll be back again to talk about something else and answer more questions and make the world a little bit better every time. <laughs> so join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it?
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.